0: After a phenomenal US Open with narratives galore, we've had some of the same at Roland Garros with some unexpected deep runs at the Parisian Grand Slam. It's been fantastic amidst all the controversy, but we are getting to the business end of the tournament and we can't be more excited about it. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. We do have plenty to get through today, chatting all things Roland Garros. We've also got a little bit of news breaking off the top, but it has been a fantastic week and a half of tennis and we can't wait to get stuck into it. Joel Frucci joins me here on Breakpoint. Joel, how are you?
1: Good, Val. Good morning. Excited to chat about the French Open. Um, And you know what's really good? Probably for the first time in quite a while, we're actually going to be talking predominantly about play, which is incredible given what's happened this year. But um, no, I'm excited for it. Potentially, though, apart from uh, what... uh, Happen with Mr. Zverev, but we'll get to that a bit later.
0: Yeah, we definitely will, and yeah, thank God we are talking about a lot of play this this week. There hasn't been much COVID controversy, a little bit as you mentioned, but we do have a big show today. Alan Perry is going to join us on the program. We might, ha- we might have a cameo from Daria Gavrilova. They're sharing a hotel quarantine room. So we'll, uh, we'll see what we can we can get out of um, out of the two of them. But yeah, it should be a very fun chat. Um, talking about her experience in Paris. We've had a massive night of results. But just some breaking news off the top. The 2021 ASB Classic in New Zealand. So Auckland um, has been cancelled. So the tournament director has uh, announced this morning or this afternoon New Zealand time that the tournament won't go ahead. So Carl Budge. Is his name. He says it's an unfortunate decision, but safety is their top priority. I'd like to thank the incredible dedication from the Classic team, volunteers, and our sponsors who have strived tirelessly to make this event happen or an event happen this summer. We know we deliver the best annual event in New Zealand. Today's announcement won't change that. We look forward to the return of the Classic in Auckland, um, and the planning starts now. So disappointing um, due to the COVID pandemic that they're not going to be able to go ahead, but it kind of does make sense as it's uh, generally. Um, in the weeks leading up to the Australian Open, and they will have to uh, the, the, a lot of the players will have to be in a bubble in Melbourne, from what we've seen from Australian Open tournament director Craig Tiley during the week. But Roger Federer and Serena Williams have confirmed their intentions to participate in next year's Australian Open, which uh, which looks fantastic already, even with the 50, 25 to fifty percent. Um, crowd reductions, so it um, it looks exciting, and hopefully we do get some proper tennis with some proper crowds uh, in Melbourne Park next year, but the women's results of French Open overnight, we didn't get uh, on Bort v Danielle Collins due to rain, so that's going to be held tonight on Chatrier, but uh, Petra Kvitova over Zhang Shui 6-2, 6-4, Sophia Kennan over Fiona Farrow 2-6, 6-2, 6-1. And her dad played a bit of musical chairs in this match, Joel, which, which we will chat about. Laura Siegmund. And I thought it was Siegmund. I thought Siegmund. But it's actually Laura Siegmund. That's how you pronounce it. Over Palo Badosa 7562. So, Joel, the Sophia Kennan match, just before we get onto anything else, um, her dad <laughs> has changed seats to go sit next to Fiona Farrow's coach during the match. And it is completely... Turn the encounter on its head. So losing the first set six two, he it, her dad goes and sits next to Pharaoh's coach in in the crowd, and all of a sudden she reels off twelve of the next fifteen games. What an unbelievable turn of events!
1: Totally bizarre. Um, <laughs> <laughs> certainly, we've never seen that before. I mean, a lot of things we've seen at this French Open we've we've never seen before, and well, this year really, we've there's things that we've never seen before. But. Um, Sophia's coach going and sitting with Fiona Farrow's coach. Um, <laughs> you have to wonder like how that happens, what prompted him to go and do that. But um, whatever it was, it seemed to work because yep. after that, Sophia Kennan absolutely brought home and uh, Mark Zafoulis, um, from the tennis menu, high performance coach, um, of course on the the daily French open show that we've been uh, working on with him. He really addressed um, why he may have done this, but, um, yeah, just bizarre, really. That's, that's yep. the only word for it, but again, it works, so, <laughs> I mean, exactly. what more can you say?
0: Well, my my comparison was, and I don't think, and this is in the US Open show at thetennismenu.com, and also Tennis Menu YouTube, and Facebook as well, you can go follow them on social media, but my my comparison was when you're at the urinal, and there's... there
1: <laughs> oh, we go again.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, this is the second time you've heard this today, but when you're at uh, the urinal, and I don't personally use urinal because of this, this occurrence, but you've got the whole space to yourself but someone comes and goes right next to you and they don't need to be doing that so it's it's just an uncomfortable situation and obviously there is probably a lot more reason to this than than a man going next to another man in a urinal but um, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's 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 a weird argument, but it's just as bizarre, and I find it, re- and I I think it would be a very uncomfortable situation for Pharaoh's coach. But uh, Petra Kvitova over Zhang Shui breaching her first uh, Roland Garros quarterfinal since 2012, and only the second Roland Garros quarterfinal that she has ever made, and she was very emotional after the match, and this is what it meant to her to make the quarterfinals of Roland Garros for the first time in such a long time.
2: I got a bit emotional in the last two points of my match, um and I really started you know to think still about the uh match because in tennis you really never know when it's end uh, but my memories happy memories when I made my comeback here uh two thousand seventeen when I stepped on the philip Chartier, I, I couldn't really imagine me to be in the quarterfinal of this slam, and uh, everything just came back to me, and uh, when I'm talking, I'm getting emotional again, so it's been um Long ride, definitely. Uh, everything uh, came to my mind when, you know, I had my whole family, whole uh, people who I loved, who helped me through the tough, tough time. And uh, I, I don't know. I just everything came back to my mind, and I just saw them, and uh, I was just playing on the Philippe Chartrier. and uh, yeah, I mean, it was such a nice to 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 win the match and to be in a quarterfinal.
0: Petra Kvitova there after her Roland Garros win over Zhang Shui last night. Absolutely fantastic to see her back into the quarterfinals in Paris. But the men's results, Joel. Um, Stefano Tsitsipas over Grigor Dimitrov, 6-3, in a scintillating display. Novak Djokovic over Karen Khashinov in his biggest test so far of this tournament, 6 6'3, 6, 3, 6 3. Pablo Carreño Busta eh, over uh, Daniel Altmaier, 6-2, 7 5, 6, 2. Andre Rublev over Martin Fushovic 7 6 7 7 5 6 4 six, 7 6 in a brilliant win there but uh, Pablo Carreno Busta eh play a very good eh, tennis no
1: He's a good performance no um no, we'll stop
0: we'll stop now yeah. um, <laughs> I no but it's not it's not making but I think his English is genuinely the most adorable on tour like oh, it is, it's great, yeah great. there goes Pablo Carreno Busta than rafa but it is brilliant on every single level i love the way i love his accent i love the way he speaks and by no means are we by no means are we making fun of it and i i wish i could do it justice by making by by impersonating it to perfect proportions which unfortunately i can't do but we finally get the rematch um, sooner than we thought. Novak Djokovic and Pablo Carreno Busta will take each other on in the quarterfinals at Roland Garros. And after what happened at the U.S. Open, Djokovic defaulted, um, which he still hasn't apologized for. Um, this is something that's it, it's. <laughs> oh, look, I'm I'm not sure. Again, we spoke to Mark about this on the Tennis Menu Show, and and he said that he doesn't think that Djokovic will linger in Djokovic's mind, which I I do agree with. I don't think it'll. Be there too much, but if Kudinov Busta starts to get up in his grill a little bit and starts to make things difficult, who knows? Will Djokovic's frustrations boil over again?
1: Um. Yeah. look, Potentially. Um. I, you know. I think. I think we, we kind of know what to expect from Novak Djokovic. What I'm really looking at, Val, is um what Pablo Kudinov Busta is going to deliver. Obviously, um at the U.S. Open, he was on the verge of winning that first set against Novak mm. um, and then the, the default happened. But what I'm really looking for with, with Pablo is just how aggressive he's going to be against Novak because I think that's that's his best way uh, of, of winning this. And I think it's uh, the most aggressive that we've seen him. Um, certainly, when he took on Roberto Batista-Ragu in the in the three-letter derby, he hit something like 60 winners in 65. excess of 60 winners. 65. 65 winners. Um, so, look, I think, I think that for me – tells a story in itself. He's never really been a player that we associate with really trying to be the aggressor and and go for, for that amount of winners. So I think if he can replicate that, he's a good chance of beating Novak. But, I mean, we were speaking about Karen Kashnoff being the big test for, for Novak so far, and Novak passed it with flying colours. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think any concerns about him potentially, you know, being a little, I don't know, maybe complacent from having played... Uh, Supposed lesser competition or easier competition in the opening three rounds, I think we can dismiss now. Um, He's looking really good. Um, But, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really, really interested to see what Pablo can do.
0: Yeah, me too, and I'm excited to see that match-up. But uh, Stefano passed last night over Grigor Dimitrov, and um, uh, he played a five-setter against Schwame Muna in in the opener, two sets to love down, and has peaked nicely, and he's slowly gotten better and better and better since the season has restarted. And just peaked ticking along beautifully and his results have just become more and more incredible. And what he did to Grigor Dimitrov last night was was quite simply stunning. And that second set, um, Dimitrov threw absolutely everything at him. They were both hitting the ball really cleanly. Um, and, and Tsitsipas was able to get through that 11-9 in the second set tiebreak and then uh, claim the third 6-2. He just ran away with it. Grigor mentally just um, didn't have what it what it took to, to go with um, the young Greek. But um, here's what Steph had to say after his match last night and how that opening round five setter kicked him into gear.
2: It was a very uh, good uh, lesson for me, the first round match. And obviously, you, you do want to avoid as much as possible situations like this. Um, I think I was just more awakened on the court and more uh, responsible of what I was doing. And uh, that uh, uh, that is also the reason why... Uh, I've been I've been doing well so well in the last uh nine sets that I've played and um my game is very aggressive my game is there my my uh my understanding of uh what I should do is uh, is uh relatively um uh, correct and uh, accurate so um as I said, it's a, it's a it's going to be a difficult challenge. I'm not I'm not expecting things to get easier from this point for sure.
1: Yeah, interesting comments there from uh, Stefan Osval. Um, you know, we we spoke about this as well actually on um, on the on the daily show um, with with him with Andrei Rublev and with Gabinia Muguruza whether those sort of kick up kicks up the bum would would really. Um, get them into gear, which it clearly has. Obviously, Gabinia's out now, but Andre Rublev is still in. Had a really good win over Martin Um And, and Stefanos is, is looking really, really good. And that probably does take us to Grigor Dimitrov, who yeah. who Steph beat. Um, this was a match that we were really looking forward to. In the end, it probably fizzled a little bit. It was three sets, and Steph closed it out pretty convincingly. It was the, the second set tiebreak that, that really told the tale of the match. Steph won at 11-9. Grigor had his chances though, um, and Set I think points that's on really... his own serve. Yeah, and I think that's what's really disappointing, Val. Um, just it's just moments with with Grigor, Um and I know you've got a bit to say about him. Um, so do you want to do? Do you want to say a piece because we've we've been speaking down a bit, haven't we?
0: Yeah, I, I think look with with Grigor, we we've seen for so many years now, and he's had that that moniker baby fed, and it was always sort of concluded that he would. Take that mantle of Roger Federer and and start winning slams and and maybe start maybe before he was even twenty five because he had that Wimbledon semi final run in two thousand and fourteen was so good and then he made there and then sort of plateaued a little bit didn't really do too much for a few years and then came twenty seventeen when he made the Australian Open semi finals pushed Nadal all the way seven five in the fifth but then all of a sudden it, things looked like they were going well for him because he won Cincinnati that year. Got himself into the top five. Finished the year at number three and won the World Tour Finals. And everybody thought, wow, Dimitrov has finally arrived at the scene. He's here. We're going to see the best of him. Quarterfinals at the Australian Open that next year. And since then, he hasn't really done too much. He made the semifinals at, <clears throat> excuse me, at the US Open last year um, after beating Roger Federer in five sets. Federer had a bad back. And that's a match where, in that semi-final, he took on Daniel Medvedev. If he was really that person that was going to go on and going to come out and try and make himself that next big thing that Dominic Thiem has become, and what Stan Wawrinka and Murray and Cilic were able to do before him, he wasn't able to do that. Daniel Medvedev, that day, showed that Grigor had been usurped, and that Grigor was no longer the next big thing. Yes, he's going to be a tough draw for a lot of players for the rest of his career, and he's always going to have that talent, and he's always going to have the talent to win a Grand Slam, Joel, but I don't think it's ever going to happen because he hadn't dropped a set at Roland Garros yet, and unfortunately, he comes up against Stefano Tsitsipas. This is a match that he should relish to be a part of. He should relish this opportunity, and he hasn't done so. He played one good set of tennis. The first set, he wasn't great. He was okay on serve, but a couple of shots here and there was very loose, Second set, hitting the ball really cleanly, had his opportunities, didn't take them, and it was those moments where he just makes the, the loose unforced errors, a forehand into the net, an easy one at that, backhand into the net, that's the problem with Grigor, and that's what he hasn't been able to sustain over over his career so far. Yes, as I said, he's had some phenomenal wins, he really has, but looking, looking now, he's still not made a Grand Slam final. Like I, I'm not sure. Like I think I'll have a look. I at, think that's the
1: least we could have expected from him.
0: Yeah, exactly. And let's see. I think he's what 28 now. Um. So the guy, the guy's getting. So no, he's 29 years old. Grigor Dimitrov. Mm, so he's not getting so, any younger. So he's not getting any younger. And at 29, surely you would have shown a little bit more by now. Yeah, you know, like he's. He's made the semis at the Australian Open. He's made the semis at Wimbledon. He's made the semis at the US Open. But actually, this is a personal best at Roland Garros. He's never gotten to the quarterfinals on the clay. And yes, he's won the World Tour Finals. But I just, I don't see it with, I don't see it with Grigor. He's only won eight career titles. For a guy that was supposed to be one of the next big things... I don't see it. I, I think Grigor's time has passed him and he's just gonna be he's gonna be a Richard Gasquet, Joe Wilfried Songa, a Gal Monfie, a David Ferrer and a Thomas Burditch. And I don't even think he's up to their level. They've all well, hasn't made a grand Slam final, but Songa has, Burditch has a uh, Burditch did and Ferrer did. And Gasquet has sustained his form for for 15, 16 years. So, I, I don't think... Yeah, I'm sorry I've waffled on a lot, Joel, but, yeah, I, I think Grigor, we can pencil him out as a Grand Slam champion right now.
1: Yeah, well said, man. I think you're probably right, to be honest. Um, he's, if he is to win one, uh, or at least make a, a final, a slam final, yeah, he better get his skates on, because his time is running out rapidly.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, yeah, so I, I guess we'll see what happens when 2020 run one rolls around, but he's going to be turning 30 next year in February. So... Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think he's at a bit of a crossroads now with what he wants to do, and I think he needs to work really hard in this off season because time, as you said, is well and truly running out. But the women's quarterfinals: Iga Swiatek against Martina Trevisan and Alina Svitolina against Nadia Podoroska. Um, two qualifiers there in Trevisan and Podoroska. The Italians have done so well, Joel, since we had um, Tancredi Palmerio on last week. Um, but Iga Swiatek, I want your thoughts on her because uh, you you have actually picked her to win the title.
1: I have, yeah. Um, and look, the reason for that is I was just so impressed with what she did against Simona Halep. She she basically said to Simona Halep, "You're going to have to beat me. Yep. I'm not. I'm not going to have to beat you. You're going to have to beat me." And that was just so refreshing and great to see from a player who is still 19 years old. And I guess to, I'm going to get it right now. She's <laughs> on tech.
0: That's all right, Joel. She's, I have been doing this little... all morning.
1: Yeah, you have, you have. She's actually played a lot of good tennis in, in the last sort of year and a half, um, and I think this was probably her sort of coming of age uh, type moment. Um, she, she just stood there and said, come at me, Simona, and she hit 30 winners in that match, basically hit hit Simona Halep off the court, and she was really the almost unbackable women's favourite um, going into, into Roland Garros. Um, she was unbeaten on clay uh, since... Tennis restarted in, in Prague and Rome and was just looking supreme. But what what Iga did to her was just so so impressive. And um, I think she'll probably get past uh, Martina Trevisan. Um Whether she can knock off Alina's Vilina is is another another question. But Alina's been a little iffy at times um, this event. And just another point on Iga. It's it's been interesting to see the players um, that she's beaten in this run. Uh Sue Shea, very tricky. Yeah. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard um had a bit of a revival, um, yep. if we can call it that. And Marketa Vondruseva, the twenty uh, twenty nineteen finalist, obviously lost against Ash Barty, um, and, and now Simona Hullop. So yeah that's that's a there are a few decent scalps. Um yep. and I just I really, really like what what she's doing at the moment. She's looking so confident and so sure of herself. It's great.
0: Yep, it is fantastic. And I think looking at what we've seen with uh, with her she's a 2018 junior Wimbledon champion as well so I-, I think the way that she plays and we've seen a lot from the from the junior well, from last year's junior Grand Slam champions. Layla Fernandez had such a good uh, such a good tournament. As well, she reached the third round at this year's French Open and she's only 18 years old old herself. And Clara Torsten as well, getting past Jennifer Brady, last year's Australian Open junior champion. She's only 17 years old and she took out the US Open semi-finalist, which is just phenomenal. That was a brilliant match from her. And I I think what we've seen as well from uh, Coco Goff, I think, and and Iga Swiatek, uh, Swiatek, this is phenomenal. And these junior girls are coming up and they're saying, you know what? We're ready. We are ready to take tennis by storm. And it's funny because... In women's tennis, it seems as though the younger players are the ones that are dominating, whereas on the men's sides, it's the 30-plus-year-olds that are dominating yeah. and starting to take the world by storm, continuing to take the world by storm. Dominic Team being the first player born in the 90s to win a men's Grand Slam, and it's taken so long. So, um, yeah, I, I was really um, yeah, really excited to see what deck has done. And, um, yeah, to blast Simona off the court, who was virtually unbeatable, it seemed, and what she did to Amanda Anisimova in the third round, dropping only one game, that was... that sensational. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, Alina Svitolina against Nadia Podoroska, as I said, and Kvitova against Sigmund, and then Kennan will take on An- Angebert or Danielle Collins. On the men's side, Joel, it's um, Novak Djokovic and Pablo Cerenjo-Buster, Stefano Titipas against Andre Rublev, Diego Schwartzman against Dominic Thiem, and Rafa against Yannick Sinner. We'll touch quickly on the bottom half of the men's draw, because we've spoken a lot about the top, we've spoken more about the top half. Um, Schwartzman and Thiem, Team has looked really, really good this tournament. Had a really tough start there over Chilich, Sock, and then Casper Ruud. Then Hugo, Hugo Gaston, the young Frenchman, pushed him to five after being two sets to love down. What have you made of Domi throughout the tournament?
1: Yeah, he's been good. I'm I'm not really sure what to expect from him coming into this match against Diego Schwartzman because he said some interesting things in the press. He basically conceded that he was fatigued, but. I don't know. I'm not really sure whether to take it at face value, um, and that's 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 not to doubt Dominic's integrity or anything like that. I just wonder if he's maybe playing some mind games um, with Diego Schwartzman, who, as we know, is a little man who's in good form and and can run all day. And the conditions probably suit him because the ball's not going as high in the, in the court. So um, that's maybe what I'm wondering about that match. However, you, you'd still be probably silly to go against Dominic. Yep. Um in this one, I feel. Um and yeah, the other quarterfinal is really interesting. Rafa and, and Yannick Sinner are again crazy to back back uh against Rafael Nadal, but if ever there's going to be a chance for a major, major boil over, then this is probably it because Yannick Sinner can hit a flat ball. He really can. And he's finding angles, he's painting lines. And even though he himself has said this tournament that he is struggling a little bit with the, the weight of, of the balls, um, he's handled things pretty well and he's beaten some very, very good players along the way, David Goffin and also Alexander Zverev, who we'll touch on in a minute. As we know, he was a little under under the weather. But this has certainly been his breakout event, I think, Yannick Sinner. He's flown up the rankings, um, playing fantastic tennis. And, yeah, if, if he wins, I wouldn't be shocked because he he's playing a really smart game in the conditions.
0: Yep, he really is. And I think with the ball skidding through and bouncing so low, I think that is going to help him. And Rafa is going to have to try and generate a lot of height um, to knock him off. So, yeah, I'm really excited about what we're going to see tonight, especially Schwarzman and team and Rafa and Sinner. So, yeah, uh, look, it's been been a great tournament so far. And I I think in terms of results and the actual tennis that's been played, news-wise, we've seen Alexander Zverev yesterday coming out and... uh, uh, had a bit of a go at Ben Rothenberg, one of our good friends on the show on um, in the press conference saying, I'm not going to answer your questions because I've seen what you've written about me. But he ended up saying that he admitted um, that in his match and loss against Yannick Sinner, he'd been feeling feverish uh, with a headache and he shouldn't have played. And that's clear signs of all COVID symptoms. He's since tested negative. Thank God for that. But the fact was he hadn't been tested for a week in this French bubble has allowed players to go out into Paris and leave the hotel grounds and again Joel i don't understand what they're trying to achieve here
1: yeah well look we can only we can only compare what's going on at the French open to the US open um, who dealt with things pretty well as we know uh, Luke Saville, great friend of the show he told us uh, at the time that the players were tested every morning and had to had to fill in a questionnaire about any symptoms they were feeling that could relate to COVID. In the end, obviously, Benoit Paire was the only player to test positive in the bubble, and things were contained pretty well. We had a bit of controversy about the French Eleven and all that stuff, but overall, there was only one positive, which is a big tick for the USTA. What I was completely staggered by, though, was the fact that Alex was up to date with his testing, so we can't hold that against him, but his last test before he came out in that press conference on what the end of October 4th, was on September 29 now that is I find completely irresponsible and blase to the situation um, how you can allow that to go unanswered for, for so long and the fact that a fever wasn't detected an absolute telltale sign of a potential infection is just beyond me um, obviously Alex hopefully he's learned a lesson I mean I don't, I don't know how many more times that this kind of thing will happen again hopefully it very few, if if any, but um, man, if you're playing through a pandemic and you're sick, you you probably need to sit out. Yep. I know there's a bit at stake for you. Obviously, you want you want to get your prize money. You want to maybe look at a higher ranking, um, a slam PB, whatever it is. But man, you've got to think of the bigger picture. So look, there's there's I think there's two parties at fault here. But at the end of the day, thank God he's negative, and yep. that's probably where we leave it. He's yep. negative. Thank God.
0: Yep, I agree. Should we get to? I guess.
1: Yes, let's
0: do it. And our first guest does join us, Alan Perez, fresh from her trip to Europe, quarantining in Perth two weeks. It can't be easy. Doubles world number 43, singles 229. Second appearance on the show, and since her last appearance, she did come runner-up with Storm Sanders in Istanbul and unfortunately did fall in the first round of the French Open. But it's great to see her back in Australia and after some successful results. Alan, it's my second time introducing you after the first uh, absolute stumble, but thank you for joining us on the show, and how are you going?
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, doing all right. I mean, could be better if I was at home in New South Wales or back in Melbourne, but uh, it is what it is. It's good to be back in Australia, at least.
0: Yeah, definitely, and uh, two weeks of quarantine. I can't imagine you're in day three now. Daria Gavrilova sharing a room with you. How are you two going, and uh, uh, is, it, is it okay so far?
3: Yeah, just day three. So, so far, it's going okay. Um, I wasn't too worried about the 14 days. I kind of felt like I had, you know, some things I could tick off and do. And I mean, I enjoy watching TV shows in bed. So, I felt like I could <laughs> definitely pass the time quick and yeah, um, got a connecting door with Dasha. So, that definitely uh, makes things a little easier. Um, also makes it a little tougher. She's a little crazy at times. So, um, <laughs> no, it's keeping it interesting and so far, we're doing fine just with three days in.
0: Oh, that's great. And the um, the the well, the trip to Europe and, and America, obviously, it's obviously something that different, well, completely different to what you've ever done before, two different bubbles. And talk us through the difference between the the Parisian bubble and the New York bubble. It seems from the outside looking in that, and from what a lot of players have said, such as Denis Shapovalov and a few others, um, that the Parisian bubble was kind of not really there and that the Americans had su- much stricter and better protocols.
3: Yeah, I mean, you could barely call um, the Paris bubble a bubble. Um, I mean, talking about the US, the US nailed it. I think theirs was almost a perfect bubble, except for obviously that second hotel which had regular guests. But in terms of the hotel I stayed at, it was incredible. They had security. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't leave. They they really kept on top of the social distancing. They only ever had enough space for like two people to sit at a time. Um, I mean, there was health checks, temperature checks before you got on, certain amount of people on buses. They took every precautionary measure you can think of. Um, and obviously, they had a huge hotel, so they obviously offered games and all these activities that were, you know, kind of beyond um, the expectation we uh, thought. So, yeah, obviously, New York did an exceptional job. exceptional job. And then we go to Paris, and <laughs> it was everything not that US <laughs> did. Um, I mean, the only real good thing about the... Um, paris bubble was that the hotel was so close to the courts only 10 to 15 minutes whereas the u.s was an hour and a half almost but um yeah there was no social distancing um people obviously wore masks but i mean they were less on top of it um i mean the hotels had regular guests uh yeah, they, they weren't really controlling if anyone left. I heard plenty of people left to go to the malls and stuff like that. And, you know, after the tournament finished, people were out seeing the Eiffel Tower and then coming back into the tournament hotel because there it, it was normal guests. You could break the bubble. It didn't really matter in the end. And then you could take transport. Um, no temperature checks, no health checks, things like that. I mean, I, we've obviously seen now that Zverev played while he was sick and that would never have happened in the US just because you have to kind of... Um, say whether you have any symptoms. You get temperature checked, all these things like that. So they definitely have let that one slip and I think they're probably paying the price now after this Sverav thing. But yeah, it's kind of non comparable when you uh, yeah. look at the two.
1: Yeah, well, thank God Alex was was negative in the end, but it I mean when we when we first sort of read about it, Alan, um, I mean I think Bell and I were both just Kind of mind-blowing that um, the tournament organised testing that, you, that was being spoken about was something like five days apart, which uh, again just speechless at that really. Um, but I mean, like, how does that how does it affect your mindset as a player? Obviously, safety is, is paramount, and um, the, the primary goal really should be to make sure that that you guys are, are kept safe and, and kept in a, in a good frame of mind. So, like, does that does that affect you at all when you see? fans walking around the grounds when you see players going into the the city?
3: You know, to to start, uh, I thought it wouldn't. Like, I'm pretty chill and I'm pretty much like, oh, you know, if I get it, I get it type of thing. I'm obviously trying to avoid and do all the precautionary measures too. But, yeah, so as soon as you see fans and that around, you do get a little like, oh, like, this is a bit weird and probably not right. So I was a little worried going from, obviously, the bubble in New York and then to the French bubble where, uh, you know, there's bands and people around and stuff like that. And it does it does kind of take a little bit of a toll. You're kind of like a little more aware and a little more worried and, you know, everything's um, a little different. Um, but, yeah, it, the testing was quite interesting um, in the French. I forgot about that. So we did it, obviously, every four days in the US and then there was five days at French Open. And I think five days is too much, to be honest. Um, and it wasn't even very up to date they they were kind of very unaware of the last day you tested they weren't following or tracking anyone if I wanted to get away with not doing my test I probably could um there was no update to say oh you got to do your second test or third test and yeah I, I don't know that everyone followed the rules with the days I heard plenty of people being like oh I forgot to do mine yesterday and it's like <laughs> how serious are they taking this but I mean yeah that I I think I'm probably the anomaly where I'm a little more laid back and don't really care too much, but I'm sure plenty of people are pretty concerned about the fans and the whole procedure taking place.
0: Yeah. It does. It just sounds so foreign into, especially back here in Melbourne where we're still in lockdown and it's, yeah, it's just the complete opposite to, I think what's going on in France where they're getting 12,000 cases a day and they're not in lockdown, but I guess, what can you do? But talking about Paris and talking about Roland Garros, there was obviously a lot of talk about the conditions and about um, how cold it was there and, and the, the different balls. What did you make of the conditions and how did you go with sort of the the heavier the heavier clay and the slower courts?
3: Yeah, obviously very different conditions to a normal French Open. The courts were really slow at times. Uh, it was pretty difficult to move just because the courts were so heavy. Um and the cold, I mean, I, I actually don't mind playing in cold conditions. I will be out there in a skirt and a tank in, you know, 10-degree <laughs> weather. Um, I know a lot of people were in long sleeves and tights and, you know, kind of looking like it was extremely cold. Um, I mean, the first day that I think Dasher and Astra played was really bad weather. It was raining the whole match, you know, 10 degrees. And that wasn't obviously ideal. Um, and I think that there kind of could have been times that they should have stopped. I mean, I think the big thing for me was the balls. Um the change in balls, yeah, they were heavier and a little uh, slower in my opinion. Um, but as soon as it was raining and wet conditions, those balls turned huge and they were so heavy. And I think the big thing is more injuries. I mean, okay, yeah, the whole game changes and, you know, a better someone who likes like Nadal who rips the ball isn't going to get the same value from those balls, but that's not really the concern. It's more you're serving with these extremely heavy balls, trying to hit forehands, you know. And I have, I'm someone that gets tennis elbow pretty quickly, so that's a bit of a worry. But the day I played, um, the conditions were quite nice, so I didn't have to worry about that. But yeah, I don't know if they really took a lot of that into account.
0: And looking at the, I saw your tweet with uh, Juan Ignacio Londero and uh, Federico Delboni at 11 all in the fifth set. I think they went, they ended up going 14-12. But talk us through how difficult it actually would have been playing in the wet with those heavy balls and. And some of the the pitfalls that can come after a match, like especially like with cramps and injuries, like how do you recover from, from playing in those tough conditions like that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can speak too much on it just because I have never really experienced something like yeah. that. Um, I mean, obviously the he- uh, heavy and um, conditions and the wet balls and stuff would have made the points extremely long, hard to finish points. Mm-hmm. Um, takes a toll on your arm. I mean... I'm sure those players would have had to, you know, do a good recovery after that. Um, I know Kiki Burton's obviously had a really tough first round with cramps and she was able to turn it around pretty quickly. So I feel like cramps is something you can kind of overcome um, with good hydration and fluids and, you know, that type of thing. But when you have an extremely long match and it comes down to, like, the toll on the body just because of movement um, and um, heavy balls, I think that's different a little bit to just, like, cramping because it's long. Um, But, yeah, I think the players... It shows some of those players that had extremely long matches. The next match, they weren't able to back it up. And, I mean, that, that obviously brings back the question to whether five sets is, you know, in that French Open, whether they should play best of two in the last set. I don't know. But every slam's different at the moment. I think that's something they still need to work out. But, yeah, you do see those long matches. They're really not able to back it up after a couple of rounds.
1: On your own results, Alan, obviously it was a very uh, productive time away for you yourself. And, and Storm, as we mentioned earlier, made the final... Uh, in Istanbul, uh, and then um, in uh, Strasbourg, you actually had a match against Arena uh, Sabalenka, Spreaching Sabalenka, as we sometimes <laughs> sometimes call her. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you really pushed her in that match. I think it was three and four. What did you get out of playing her?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm always pretty nervous when I go up against those big girls. Um, I probably lacked the belief that I belong, um, but I was playing good tennis. Um, I think the only thing that really let me down and was disappointing was my serve. Um that's obviously something in the past that I'm pretty confident with, and feel like I, you know, get through a lot of easy service games just because I do put in, um, have a good lefty serve. But yeah, I think my percentage in that match was around 40%, and that that's what really cost me. You know, her seeing such a big hitter, seeing so many second serves, you you can't afford to get away with that. And that is the next level. You need to kind of get a few free points or set up that first ball with a good serve. And when I'm doing 40%, I, there was no chance. So. I think it definitely helped me playing her on clay. She has always – her big serve was a little bit mitigated just with the, the court slowing it down and, you know, being able to uh, give it height and, you know, and she's not able to attack sure of that first ball. I think that was a big thing. But, yeah, it, it kind of gave me a sense that I, I was there with her. I felt like in, when I got in the rallies and we had a lot of good points and I, I was, wasn't was too far behind her. But, yeah, I mean, she's, she's a great player, but it was a good opportunity just to get out there and kind of see that level again.
0: Yeah, and I think it I think it was you who hit that amazing drop shot against her. And it was yeah. yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. I think Joel and I our jaws both dropped and yeah, she had absolutely no answer for it. It was fantastic. But um going uh, going I saw your tweet recently about the distribution of funds by the WTA compared to the men. Now I'm really interested to hear how this actually works and and how the tours sort of distribute differently. Um, can you give us an idea or explain kind of how it works? Because there was that 10-pound difference or 10-euro difference in Rome that kind of confused me a little bit.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a big issue that's been going on. I mean, I actually don't know the distribution throughout the whole year and how it works. But in particular, Rome, I mean, a lot of a lot of women have the issue that the men have so many more tournaments that offer a lot more money. Um, but there is obviously the slams, which offer exactly the same money, um, which is great. But then you have tournaments like Rome. And I think the men's tournament, I don't want to get it wrong, but there's is something like maybe 2.8 million in prize uh, euro in prize money and ours is maybe 1.6 or something. It's, it's like half, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And that to me, that's not an issue. You know, they, they're going to have bigger tournaments. They have more money because they're the ATP, that more people want to watch them. But the, the issue was distribution. And I think we offered the same winning prize money, 10, 10 euro less, and the men and our tournament has half the money. We obviously should have been offering more money for the lower rounds, and then the winner shouldn't have reached up to 200000 They should have been on maybe 100000 and then the extra dropped down, uh, down the spots. And that's obviously something we've gone wrong a lot of the time. And the men, especially since coming back, that their recent tournaments have given a lot more to the first round or two, and then the winner has received barely anything compared. And we haven't, we've kind of kept the same similar um, breakdown and we've taken maybe a little off the top, but it's nothing to compare to the men. And for me, that's the biggest issue. It's not that they're having more tournaments with more money. I don't, I don't really care about that. It's more um, when we do have a tournament with prize money, it, the, the distribution's so wrong.
0: Yeah. And what what's um what's being done at the moment to to kind of fix that? Are they are they having regular meetings to try and ensure that the players are being looked after? Because this is this is one of the biggest issues in tennis. The the players ranked outside the top hundred are not getting enough of a voice. And that's what Joel and I have been saying for so long since we've restarted the podcast. So what what can the what can the players do to try and mitigate this and to try and 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 get that get that funding for the players that lose in a first round or even in the ITF one twenty five K or ITF events?
3: Yeah, I mean there is only so much we can do. Uh, we have a players council, and that's you know top ten, uh, top twenty player, a top fifty player, and then even someone outside the hundred um, is a part of that. And uh they did put forward um their concerns with that um i know leading into the u.s that that we made mention that the distribution was wrong and they did listen to some of it they yeah. um actually raised the prize money um by a couple thousand um on some of the earlier rounds i think even in the doubles um but they didn't do it to the same extent as the men's i know cincinnati they they made that small change but yeah i don't know um Post that, even was speaking about Rome, um, they didn't they didn't change it. And it comes down to the tournament's decision. Um, it's not up to the WTA, but I think the WTA have a big pull. If they want the tournament to kind of change, if enough to help us, they they could put that input in. Um, but yeah, as a player, you know, outside the uh, top hundred, you can only kind of voice your concerns to that player council, and then the player council can put it forward to the WTA, and then WTA can take the action. And I mean. I feel like we're all kind of making enough points now that maybe it is of their concern, but whether action takes place, I wouldn't know.
1: Yeah. Well, great insights. And um, just finally, Alan, before we uh, throw some quarantine themed rapid fire at you just to round off with some, hopefully, well, hopefully some some laughs. Um, have you got a, a pit for us for the women's champion at Roland Garros?
3: Um. Funny because I I can't even remember who's left in. Um <laughs> I know Swiate's playing amazing tennis. Her her match against Halep kind of made a bit of a statement there. And she yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she goes pretty deep. I mean Spidalina actually is also, I think, maybe in her section would be a semi-final. I think yep. I could maybe see those two come to the semi-final and play each other. Um but yeah, on the on the bottom half, I mean what there's Collins, Kenan maybe.
0: Um Kvitova's still in.
3: I think svitalina has got the most form coming yeah. in with consistency. She's obviously done well week in, week out, won Strasbourg the week before. But I'd be very curious to see kind of who comes out of that svitolina Swiatek match yeah. if that is a semi-final. I think maybe the top half might see the winner. But.
1: Yeah. Well, I actually uh, went out on a bit of a limb after uh, Simona was, was knocked out. I actually said that Iga uh, would, would go on and win. So I'm either going to look like a, a genius or a complete moron. But anyway, we'll see how we go. that one but um quarantine theme rapid fire i think this is going to be interesting so obviously last time we had you on we asked you a few sort of outside the box questions so this time we're going to put a bit of a quarantine themed spin on it so obviously we've already spoken a bit about this one but what was the best thing about the new york bubble uh
3: the outdoor patio area they they put on a um food truck every night, and there was nice um, couches out there and a big screen TV, and everyone would just come together and grab food and just sit around and hang out till about 10pm at night, so that was cool.
1: Oh, beautiful. Me golf too, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, that, that was at the courts, but yeah, there was a cornhole in the patio area, and then obviously indoors was all the gaming area.
1: Yeah, very nice. Broad one, what's the worst thing about quarantine?
3: Worst thing in quarantine? Uh... Not being able to go outside. I mean, you take it for granted, to be honest. Um, If I was in a hotel and not locked in, maybe I wouldn't even go outside. Who knows? But now (laughs) that you are locked in, you kind of really want to see the outside and just, like, walk around. So, yeah, I think that's the big thing.
1: What's the best movie or TV show that you've watched so far in quarantine?
3: I just started Killing Eve um, yesterday. Um, I watched American Murder the night before. Me and Dash were like, that was crazy. Um... All of that. I, I finished off the last episode of Blacklist. I did this thing where I watched all seven seasons and got to the last episode. And then I went overseas and Netflix didn't offer it. So I, I neglected watching it. I couldn't be bothered to put on a VPN. That's typical me. And now I've got <laughs> back and almost forgot about the whole show. And I have to watch the last episode. So <laughs> I finished that and, yeah, starting a new show. But, yeah, there's plenty of shows I've watched. I, I, there's almost too many shows I've watched. I can't remember. <laughs>
1: Yeah, beautiful. Well, at least it'll keep you keep you busy in that sense. Which artist is being played too much or just a lot on Spotify?
3: I haven't even listened to Spotify that much, but I'm a big no. uh, a big um, house and um, I love that electro type music. So, I like Kygo, Martin yeah. Garrix. Um,
0: I think James we discussed Smokersy, this last that. time as well, and I said the and I was like, yeah, I completely agree with that. So. No, like an EDM,
3: yep. Yep. yeah, that's my that's my jam. Ultra yep. music festival, stuff like that.
1: <laughs> now we've got to ask about those uh, boxing gloves that we saw on Twitter. Who's landed the first blow, yourself or Dasha?
3: Oh, for sure, me. <laughs> I saw the <laughs> I Instagram story hit her yesterday, and she was already screaming. Wouldn't um, even be a fair fight, to be honest. But we'll we'll get used to those. We'll, we'll get them out and have a bit of fun. But yeah. <laughs>
1: Who does Dasha miss more, her dog or Mr. Savile?
3: Oh, for sure, Tofu. Yeah, the dog. (laughs) I mean, sometimes they get on FaceTime and (laughs) I don't even know if they talk. They just kind of have each other there and there's like one thing said and then next minute she's like, bye, and just hangs up. And I'm like, what kind of conversation is that? I mean, she's FaceTiming the dog three times a day at least and just getting photos constantly sent to her by her mom. And it's cute. Uh, But, yeah, for sure, the dog. (laughs)
1: Oh, that's gold. What's the most annoying trait that Dasha has?
3: I mean, <laughs> she'll start a sentence about something or, like, tell your story and just stop halfway and then start something else and then, like, stop halfway and then you're like, what is going on? Like, but she's always got so much energy too. Like, sometimes I'll be in here watching a show and she'll just run in, like, and then run out and then, <laughs> like, yell something. It, yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs>
1: Sounds like, sounds like what we see on court is very much what we get behind the scenes as well.
3: Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And what a great way to end. But Alan, you said that, you know, sometimes you don't get the belief that you do belong. You do belong on the WTA Tour and on the and in the top echelons of tennis. You're an absolutely fantastic player and a wonderful custodian of the sport in this country. And we wish you all the best for the rest of the year. And hopefully we'll chat to you very soon on Breakpoint. Thank you for joining us and good luck in the next, uh, what is it, 11 days of quarantine, and hopefully you get through it okay.
3: Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it.
0: Alan Perez there joining us here on Breakpoint Podcast. Absolute pleasure having her on the show again. But, Joel, it is time for our favourite segment of the week. And actually, well, it's the only real segment we have on this show, so of course it's our favourite. <laughs> but it would be anyway if we had others, because it's Benoit of the week named after our favourite enigmatic Frenchman who has had a typical Benoit yeah, so far after, after tennis has come back. But this week, Benoit goes to Nick Kyrios for his uh, Twitter stash with Karen Khashanov and having a go at uh, Mats Willander, just saying that, and w- with Willander coming out and saying that Andy Murray shouldn't have taken a wild card, um, being selfish and taking the spot of a younger player. And Kyrgios saying, well, I've never watched a point of Mats Willander. Maz, you do whatever you want to do. And then um, Kashinov responded, just saying, "Show some respect." They ended up taking a couple of jabs at each other, with Curios having a go to fit, to finalise it at his English, which I don't think was right because it is Kashinov's second language, and I think that was a really poor, that was in really poor taste. And um, look, Andy Murray doesn't need Nick Curios to stick up for him um, because he's got his own PR team. Kashinov as well probably didn't need to engage in that sort of banter, but. Look, it's everybody's probably at fault, but for Curiosity, just to show uh, the, the lowest form of intellect is to actually insult someone personally, and that was um and that was not done well on Nick Curiosity's part. So for all the, a lot of the good work he has done this year, um, undone a little bit of it there with um with that stash.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Look, I think as you said, Val, it was. There's no doubt that um you know taking taking aim at, at Karan's... English was a step too far, as you said. It's it's his second language. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, Nick's, Nick's got every right to uh, say what he said to go out and, and defend Andy Murray. We want players to be more open. We we want to see the human side of, yeah. of the players. So in that sense, we we want that. But, yeah, again, I, I don't think the, the criticism of Karan's language was... Was warranted but even I mean even even Karen himself when he when he brought up books and video games he didn't really need to do that he in hindsight I'm sure he thinks that he probably should have left the conversation there which is what I think he should have done I mean he's a mature guy like he's married and, and he has kids so I think he was sucked in a little bit easy um, and again he had he himself he had a right to go out and defend Mats volander as, as well um, and to say look you know maybe show a bit more respect he had every right to to say that, but it was just a bit of a bit of a childish stoush and it didn't
0: need to get that far on both yep. fronts. Yep, it really didn't. So I think we can leave it at that. Nick, here is our Benoit number 26. He becomes a third person to get multiple votes behind Novak Djokovic on five. Somehow I've got two um, and Benoit Pair actually has <laughs> two as well. So he becomes the fourth person to get multiple multiple votes. Joel, you're still there on one, so you've still got a chance. But thank you very, very much for your efforts on the show today, mate. It's been a pleasure, as always, chatting tennis with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yourself too. I'm, gonna, I'm going to go and learn some more Polish because clearly um, English isn't the language for me. So I might go see if I can figure something else out. It's
0: both of us, I might start learning Arabic for uh, Anjibou um, and try and get some, and try and be able to converse with her properly because my English today has been absolutely. Atrocious! Thank God for podcasting and editing because this has been an absolute disaster. But it's been a pleasure. Remember, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, on Instagram Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook Breakpoint Podcast, and we are also on all of your podcasting channels. Wooshka, we are on Apple Podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well. Wherever you get your shows from, we will be there. So remember. Big tournament coming up in Roland Garros, or big end to the tournament coming up. Val Febbo and Joel Frucci here taking you through all of it, and we'll catch you next week for the Parisian Grand Slam Review.